I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This is Reasons to be Cheerful with Ed Miliband and Jeff Lloyd. Legislation will provide, therefore, that by the end of 1975, it will at last be illegal to discriminate against women in rates of pay. What's that we're listening to? That was Barbara Castle, the Labour cabinet minister who introduced the Equal Pay Act in 1970, uh, declaring that essentially we'd have a law fully in place by 1975 for equal pay. Hugely inspiring to hear, but then depressing when you think about what happens subsequently. Well, we're more than 40 years on from all that, and there's still an 18% pay gap between men and women, and we're going to be we're going to be talking about that on the show today. I mean, what a formidable woman! Did you ever happen across her in real life? Well, it's funny because we we. I was working for Gordon Brown in the 1990s, and there was a movement to get Labour to recommit to what they call the the pension earnings link, so to link the state pension, rise in the state pension to average earnings. Right. Um, And Gordon was worried about it for prudence reasons, and Barbara was insistent on it. And Barbara lived at a place called Hell Corner Farm, and I think that rather described Gordon Brown's experience (laughs) when he used to go and visit her, because he she used to sort of give him absolute hell. And actually, in the end, I think sort of maybe some some years after she she passed away, the the you know pensions were linked to earnings once again. So she won, and she was an amazing she was an amazing and formidable woman. When Gordon had come back from a meeting like that, would you try and um, get as far out of his way as possible? Yeah, he'd just throw a few things. <laughs> no, that was exaggerated. Yeah. I wanted to, um, I wanted to ask you because it's been the the Tory Party conference this week, and um, of course Theresa May's speech. I want to ask you what part of you? How how does it? How do you? How are you split between feeling? Oh, 25% sympathy, just, 25, 70, okay. 75% Schadenfreude. <laughs> uh, um, oh, you know, look, you know, it's a, it's a sort of, it's that, that hat trick of the, 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 you know, the, the ridiculous guy who under the P45 losing her voice and the letters falling off. Mm. Gordon Brown once had a pigeon that flew into the Labour Party conference hall while he was delivering his speech. And I, and I remember people who worked for him at the time said to me, they were incredibly worried that the pigeon was going to do its droppings on him <laughs> while the speech was going on. His own you know, protection didn't take the pigeon out, though, did they? You think, they, you think shooting the pigeon would have probably sort of not gone down well, really? No, it wouldn't play well with the electorate. <laughs> I don't think so. That kind of thing. I don't think so. So have, have you, and I know like, there was that speech where you forgot to mention the deficit. Yeah, thanks for reminding but, me. <laughs> but, but have you ever had like some terrible pub? Because that's, that's one thing, but it's yeah. not like wetting yourself on stage or having a, a stage invasion. Have you ever had anything sort of terrible happen to you while you're up there doing stuff? 
I don't not. I mean, I think the the deficit thing was a problem, uh, but I had nothing quite like. But at the time, nothing, you didn't realise it wasn't until afterwards, right? Yeah, yeah. It's because I did this thing of memorising the speech, and you know, show it, off. Well, it wasn't actually. It was because I found it was a better way to deliver a speech in a more direct way to the audience, and it, you know, it, it would work to the previous two years. But there, there we go. What is your anxiety dream and your job? Because everybody with their job has got it used to be about PMQs. I think. So what would happen in the dream? So you'd like turn up to PMQs and there was no, and you'd, you know, hadn't prepared for the questions. And were you naked? No, I think you were sort of metaphorically. Right, right. But thanks for asking. <laughs> Are you a good sleeper? I'm a quite a good sleeper, actually. What is, in your experiences, the correlation between these people who get by on three or four hours a night and... Bonkers. Um, yeah, well, okay, that's what we were going, that's what I was asking about, really. Are you a good sleeper? Amazing, yeah. Are you really? Yeah, I was a bedwetter as a child, but I've overcome right. that now in good. adulthood. So, you know, since since then, really, it's been plain sailing for me. So so what have we got coming up this week, then? We're going to be talking about bedwetting and how you <laughs> capture it. Uh, no, we're going to be talking with we're going to be talking with Victoria Budson, who is uh, an expert from Harvard University, and she's one of the leading lights of a new law in Boston that in Massachusetts that basically says you're not allowed employers aren't allowed to ask about your previous salary. So this is in order to stop the kind of difference between in pay of men and women continuing through as they move from job to job. Right. Because the, the logic is, you know, if your employer knows your previous salary, they'll pay you about that. And if there's already a difference, it's going to kind of carry on uh, throughout your career. So that's a new law introduced in Massachusetts. We're talking to Victoria Budson. Then we're going to be talking more widely about the gender pay gap with Jess Phillips, Labour MP and big campaigner on these issues. And, you know, it's more than 40 years since the Equal Pay Act. For goodness sake, you know, how, we need to get on with it, don't we? Uh, how are we going to do it? And she's going to got some ideas. And we're going to be hearing from you. We've had plenty of stuff in. So we've got ideas from you. We've got thoughts on regulating the tech companies and UBI to be getting through still. And coming in to pitch ideas, which are potential reasons to be cheerful, one of our finest comedians. I'm almost tempted to say comic mind of her generation. I think she's that good. It's Sarah Pascoe. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. And so, you've got some special vegan um, delicacies for her, haven't you? I think you should. I think you should reveal all. Usually there are some round balls well, in front of us. Well, usually I get a few biscuits in for when we're doing the podcast. I thought with with Sarah Miso coming, I'll make and sure. chocolate. By the way, stop it! You're making this sound so terribly Sorry. middle class in North London. <laughs> Yeah. So I, I went out and bought vegan treats for Sarah this week um, and I bought an excess of them so other people, people could sample them. It's interesting to me that nobody has been anywhere near them yet. Well, I think we're sort of saving them for Sarah. They've been sort of, they've been kind of staring at me from the plate. And I think, well, I can't really start eating them. It's a sort of socially awkward situation. I want to eat the nice ones and then, you know, this, they're especially for their Sarah's, this is, their yeah. Sarah's biscuits. I mean, there are about balls, 15 of them. They? So, yeah, there yes, are. Yeah, so we'll see. Let's hope she likes them. Yeah. Um, so will I give you my reason to be cheerful this week? Go on, yeah. I t- I'll tell you, I've, I've really struggled this week. Yesterday, I woke up in a pool of my own blood. This is the kind of week I've had. I managed, to, I managed to sleep through a nosebleed. I'm so sorry. Sleep through a nosebleed. Probably explains some of the bedwetting stuff as well. So, so that's the kind of week I had. So, uh, there's a real low, there's there's a real low bar here for a reason to be cheerful. Um, so I'm just going to go with Curb Your Enthusiasm being back on the TV. Give me a little tease about the first episode. I can tell you that there is an altercation about holding a door open for somebody. Mm. There's this etiquette in the House of Commons which you're rushing for a vote. You know, you've got eight minutes to vote from when the bell goes. Yeah. And if you're rushing down the corridor behind the speaker's chair, and it is really the etiquette, and, and it's these kind of quite old wooden doors that sort of swing back, and it really is the etiquette. Whoever is behind you, even if they're a Tory, <laughs> and you, know, you could sort of seek some advantage by sort of letting the door bang in their <laughs> face, you hold the door open, I basically. So, I, I'm a sort of... I'm hope I'm in general a door holding open guy. Right, because I mean, in that situation, you could keep some ball bearings in your pocket just to scatter on the ground. And like... well, I do often say in the lift where I'm like sometimes in the lift with like five Tory MPs, and I say, well, look, I could just get the lift stuck, and it would like help, <laughs> you know, it might help us win the vote. Larry David has an equation that he is applying in the first episode of Cobra Enthusiasm. Wow, that's all, that's all I'm going to tell good you. Tease. That's all I'm going to tell you. Good tease. It's, it's well, anyway, it's good. Uh, so, so, what about you? What kind of a week have you? Oh, had? Have you well, look, my reason to be cheerful is not really reason to be cheerful but it's got a sort of positive aspect to it which is um uh my as you may know my grandfather died uh in during the second world war and he was in one of these uh, he was essentially in a concentration camp and it's only recently that we've um discovered where he actually died uh which is in a german um village 
the people who were in this village uh, got in touch with us. This is a village where this labor camp concentration camp was. And it, and it was really about he um, building a – he'd been in Auschwitz, but he then got moved to this place in um, this village to help build a German airfield that had been bombed. This is in the – towards the latter end of the – towards the end of the war in the early 1945. And unfortunately, he died in January 1945. Now, I mean, it was incredibly sort of moving to go there. But but the the and it, you know, it's obviously awful. Um, what happened to my family was awful. But – the um the the extraordinary thing about it was that really this village had forgotten deliberately mm. about this mm. you know there'd been this camp they didn't want to acknowledge it and these two uh secondary school teachers essentially decided at sort of the turn of the century so so around 2000 2001 they they kind of got moved to act and they have, over the last 15 years, put together a documentation centre in this small village, which has testimony from survivors of the camp, a memorial to the mass grave that there was. I mean, and it is, so it's actually desperate sort of sadness, but it is an incredible testimony to a determination to remember. But there's, there's something really inspirational there, both in terms of people power, but also for you as a family. And as my brother said to me, you know, who was there with me, you know, it, it, it's only by acknowledging your part, the past, only by acknowledging the truth uh, of what has happened in a country, can you sort of you know learn from it. And and it's imp- I think it's important for me because and for us, I think partly because of the memory of what happened and what happened to my grandfather, but also um, as a sort of lesson. So, what's the name of the place if people want to look it up? Well, the 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 village is called, it's called Heilfing and Tilefing, and so it's two two villages uh, that that sort of it's it's basically on the border of two villages. Um, and to be fair to the authorities there, you know, we had the local mayor there who spoke in. I mean, you know, he spoke sort of perfect uh, English, you know, and a, and and sort of uh, you know, did a very very. Uh, moving acknowledgement of what had happened and uh, my grandfather and so on. So, Reasons to be Cheerful, a podcast about ideas with Ed Miliband and Jeff Lloyd. I'm delighted to say that we're joined by Victoria Budson now on the line from Massachusetts. Victoria Perhaps start off by telling us about what's actually been done in Massachusetts, the, the nature of the new law. So here in Massachusetts, we did pass the, an act to establish pay equity, and it really did a few important things. The first is you can no longer ask someone their past salary history while they're a prospective employee. If you want to ask, you can do so, but only after you've made an offer. And the goal was to break the cycle of women and minorities being underpaid because so often it's that past salary that sets the frame for the negotiation with the employee. If someone was underpaid in their first job, that underpayment would just continue. Women graduate to a pay gap that being paid about seven to 12 cents less than their male counterparts. And that that seven cent gap only grows over time. Now, the second thing that the bill did that's so important is it created the expectation that you can pay people differently based on a number of categories, on experience, on what the role is, how much travel there is, on performance. But you can't pay differently based on the person being male or female. In addition, we did something really far-reaching for business. So here in the United States, not every company would do a wage gap audit because they were so concerned that if they did find a pay gap, it would give them legal risk. So within the bill, we have what's called an affirmative defense. So any business that does an internal wage audit and then finds they have difficulty, as long as they can show they're taking meaningful steps to mitigate that problem, then they're protected for three years. So we've given businesses new tools to solve the wage gap problem. And lastly, I think a really key provision is that when 
a woman or a man takes time off to take care of their children, that no longer can be deducted from the months of service when seniority and wages are being calculated. The interesting thing about this law is it was passed, it was signed into law by a Republican governor, and I believe it had support among Republicans and Democrats in Massachusetts. Tell us a bit about that. Yes. So here in Massachusetts, if one had looked five years ago at the landscape and whether or not we were able to consistently pass legislation on behalf of women and girls, what you would have found is that we didn't. And because we built this living, breathing network of people invested in this, instead of this being a partisan issue, this is considered an issue on behalf of the Commonwealth of Massachusetts, an issue where everybody can see that this will improve their future. Women spend more of their pocket dollars on Main Street. That's going to help new businesses. That's going to help grow the economy. And do you have a sense yet of whether the law is having a, an effect or is it too early to tell? It has had an enormous effect already in the following ways. Now that we're talking about women's wages and the issue of transparency, we've catalyzed discussions in businesses all over. And by doing so, people are drawing attention to, do I know whether I'm paid equally? What are the tools I can use to figure that out? We've seen some movement on this in Washington, D.C. We've seen movement in Philadelphia. We've had some discussions with Los Angeles. So other states so other states are thinking of following you. And just on this point about the coalition, did you have opposition from some parts of business? One concern was what will it cost me to pay women the same as men? to which we would remind people that since 1963 here in the United States, it's been illegal to pay men and women differently. So if people truly felt that there was going to be a cost incurred by their business, they in essence were saying they were breaking the law. But because we have these partnerships across business and academia and so forth, what the research shows is that by paying women equally, more of those dollars end up back in the community. Lots of people like to focus on the moral or ethical argument, which are very important arguments, and the fairness argument. But we really focused in on the data. You know, more than 40% of families in the United States depend on women's wages as a primary or sole way of supporting the family. So, you know, old thinking that men are breadwinners, that men provide the resources for the family and women, you know, provided pin money or, you know, additional supplemental income has really, um, it's no longer true. And we try to help make sure people understand that as well. Well, look, you've set it out very clearly. I've got a final question. Have you sent your new law to President Trump? (laughs) (laughs) You know, that is a lovely question. I would imagine that his team would be aware of what's been filed in Congress, and it will be interesting to see where we have traction on this, both at the federal as well as the state. I think we should all congratulate you on an extremely diplomatic answer. (laughs) Thanks so much. Bye. Bye. So I'm delighted that we're joined by my fellow Labour MP, Jess Phillips. Listening to to Victoria Budson talking about the law in Massachusetts, do you think it could make a difference? Do you think we should have it here? Yeah, I mean, it's funny because normally pay transparency is the thing that we go for in this country. So we want to see what businesses are doing and what people are being paid um, to enable us to gather the data and see where the problems are. So the idea of being less transparent about pay is an interesting one that I hadn't considered um, before I heard about this scheme. But it it basically is it's like a noose around your neck, isn't it? If you only earn a certain amount of money, when you go to your next job, your boss knows that you can just yeah. be negotiated yeah. down. And that is really, really difficult for women. And it's probably one of the reasons they don't rise. If you look at studies of women who are self-employed, there is lots of evidence that they devalue themselves when putting out a price for their work. Whereas men, I mean, no offence, like you overvalue it yourself. <laughs> well, that's, that's certainly true of uh, <laughs> Jeff, isn't it? I don't this it? for nothing. That's, that's, certainly, that's definitely that's overvalued. True. That's certainly true of us. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah, so that's worth doing, you think. Mm-hmm. Um, now, we've got a new law coming in in the UK, which is that from April 2018, all companies with employees of 250 or more employees are going to have to publish their pay gap. That was something that was introduced actually by Harriet Harman, God bless her, uh, in 2010. Uh, the end of the Labour government, it's taken this government to some time to get it in. But is that going to make a difference? I mean, I really hope it is going to make a difference. I think that at the moment... We've seen it at the BBC, haven't we? Yes. Oh, the beginnings of it at the BBC. Yeah, the the BBC is the absolute 
you know, sort of pinnacle of the kind of reaction I hope we see when that data is published. The only trouble is, is that there is, it's where the businesses sort of play the game. Some of them won't bother to publish it. There's no it. penalty for doing there's no, it. There's no penalty. It's a bit of a ridiculous law, isn't it? No it penalty. is a ridiculous law. Um, and that's got to change. And I want to say, I mean, I suppose it's the difference between a Labour government and a Tory yeah. government, is I'm much more about the stick and they you are much more about lock, the You want to see people locked up for not publishing, well, I, the, I publishing the data. I certainly <laughs> don't want to see any government contract given to any company that has a gender pay gap. So if your building company wants to build HS2, yeah. I'm sorry, you've got to give as much of that taxpayer's money to the women and who And from your there. discussions with business, do you think they're going to do it or do you think they're going to, uh, you know, avoid it? Trouble is the businesses that talk to me are the good yeah, ones, yeah, aren't they? Yeah. And they are going to do it yeah. and they will have grand plans for yeah. how they're going to improve it if it's bad. So what we need to do is the union movement and women like me need to be going to those organisations, finding the women and getting a collective voice of the people who actually work there because that is embarrassing for those companies. You find a lot of people, a lot of bosses in denial about it. They say, oh, it definitely doesn't happen at our place, despite what the data is saying. Yeah, I mean, at the moment, we don't, I think it's only four or five companies have actually published their data. Lots of them moaned about having to do it in the first place. And most people won't recognise they have a problem because we don't recognise our own innate privilege. And the bosses of most of these companies are men. And so they'll be like, but it seems fine because it's fine for them. Um, and that will be a problem across the board. So it's institutionalised. No one's got, very few people are walking around thinking, no, actually, it's probably right that women are paid a bit less. You're not coming up against that apart from nutters on Twitter, are you? I mean, you say that, but there was... She I has a it... fair share of nutters on Twitter. <laughs> I have a terribly skewed view. Um, those people still exist. You know, they're, they are around. I mean, I sit opposite many of them in the Chamber of the House of Commons. Uh, some of them I sit near. Um, Oops, I, I was about to say I'm glad you didn't say that. <laughs> They're rarer on my side, yeah, I'd say. Few, yeah, that's good. Um, but, um, but I think there, there was a recent survey, done, I'm not sure if it, I think it was by Fawcett, um, that, where 18% of people thought gender equality had gone too far, <laughs> um, which is brilliant. I'm I, sure, I really sure they'd that. say the same about political correctness. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, it, exactly. Yeah. Political correctness gone mad. And the good thing about that law, isn't it, is that it will it will kind of shine a light on the gap and and... It shines a light both on the gap between people doing similar jobs and the gap between men and women, but also because it's a, a total figure. It also shines a gap or it shines a light on the fact that, like at the BBC, and the BBC are by no means the worst offender, but they're below the average, to be fair to them. You know, I think 60% of the top employees in the top tier are men and 60% of the employees in the lower tiers are women. Mm-hmm. So it shines a light on the segregate, on the, you know, yeah, where, the where people are. Sexual, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's both things. And in some companies, what it will show up is just basically your boss is basically an old fashioned idiot. But mostly what the issue will be is, like Theresa May said about what happens in her house, there are women's jobs and there are men's jobs and the cleaning jobs are being done by women because meritocracy obviously thinks that women are really cracking at cleaning. So what good ideas are there out there to fix that then? How you perceive different jobs. Well, the truth of the matter is, is that we need to scale up people's pay in those jobs. Why don't we care about the people who care about our children and care for our elderly people? We need to give a toss. It's not about pushing men's wages down. And the Tories will often, they say, oh, well, the gender pay gap is closing in our our tenure. And the fact is, that's because men's pay has gone down, (laughs) which wasn't what the sisters were after. Um, So it's about scaling up those people's pay and stopping the the sort of universal sort of maltreatment of the women's workforce. Before we get on to the remedies, solutions, why hasn't it gone as changed as quickly as... I think that there are a number of reasons um, and... One of them being in the idea that people no people aren't walking around thinking women should get paid back. It's lots of women also don't recognise that it is happening to them. So it's an inability of the workforce to recognise and organise um, as a collective in the way that men have done in the past for their wages and their pay. So that's one of the problems. But the, the main reasons why that the gender pay gap still exists 
is because women take periods of time off work to raise their children. If you look at the data, up until they're in their 30s, women and men are generally at parity. In some cases with women earning slightly more because women get better university education at the moment that you're more likely to go to university if you're a woman. But it's at the age of 30, basically, this cliff edge happens and any all of the data shows that if you take more than six months off work, essentially you're taking a massive step back. And that could be for all sorts of different reasons. But for women, it is largely because they go and have children. So am I right in thinking in the Nordic countries, we, we talk about taking, taking time off for childcare, not only... Just a Swedophile, I basically. am a Swedophile, yeah. Not only can you split the maternity and paternity, but you're, you're obliged to. And then that way, if someone's thinking of employing you or promoting you, they, they're not thinking, well, they're going to take some time off to have a baby because that could apply equally to a man and a woman. Yeah, that's right. In Sweden specifically, um, it's a sort of, use it or lose it so you don't have to do it you're not necessarily obliged but you will get less benefit from the state if and if you don't both share it um and it's a bit it's in its infancy at the moment the swedish model so there's not sure whether it's going to show what we imagine it will show is that more men take time off we close the gender pay gap that absolute to me the beginning middle and end of improving the gender pay gap is not just about women ending up in the boardroom although that is part of it it is about men also taking a caring role. It has to be both um, sides. So for me personally, I'm not sure anyone's ever going to pass this. Um, men need to have the, exactly the same paternity rights as women have maternity rights. So at the moment, does any country do that at the moment? No, no country does. I think Sweden is the closest. But you also have to sort of culturally encourage men to take that time off as well. I don't know. I think you're there. Don't play yourself down. Well, I would. <laughs> I would. <laughs> um, you know, and that's what everybody always says. Yeah. Oh, but I more would. I would. You. More time with Eugene. Yeah, I'd love it. Yeah. Exactly. You know, lots of my friends who are women have a baby just to get a bit of extra time off work. So <laughs> you, you're missing out. You're missing out. It's much easier being at home with a baby oh, than oh, it is. Oh, I can feel the viewer comments coming in. I would rather go to work. Work. I mean, yeah. it is genuinely a, a harder job being at home than it is um, going to work, um, even with a job like mine. But I think that the truth of the matter is, is that the, if you look at paternity leave, mm. before we had paid paternity leave, even though it only exists at sort of statutory pay for two weeks in the UK at the moment, over the period that that was first instigated by the last Labour government, there is now a, a 90% take-up rate of that two weeks. And it was very, very, very low to start with. So it takes time for that culture to change. But I actually think the idea of fatherhood, we are much further ahead than we give ourselves credit. I think most men would quite like to have I some time off really work. really interesting. Yeah. I think it's really interesting, isn't it? Because basically what you're saying is that the sort of law is actually now behind the reality. Um, yeah, absolutely. The law is behind the reality. And also it would solve a massive problem in childcare, mm. which is another massive barrier, is the cost of childcare stops women going back to work because childcare is always seen, it's always couched in terms of a woman's wages. So, well, it's not worth me working because I will only make so and so money after I've paid for the childcare. But it's well, you never do that with a man's wages. You never say yeah. our household income they always, childcare is always seen in terms of a woman's wages and that's got to stop as well. Given the way the gap's closed in the last 40-something years, it'll take another 60 years or something. People 77. Say, 77 years to, to, it's going to be done quicker than that, isn't it? Well, I mean, like you say, it depends on who's in government yeah. in all co yeah. different countries in the world. But I used to be more positive about how it would be. Oh, this title of this than... podcast is reasons to be cheerful. Sorry, um, it'll be no time at all. Don't worry about it at all. <laughs> why did you used to be seriously? Why did you used to be more? Positive? I used to be more positive um, until I realised the scale of the problem. I suppose coming to Parliament, it made me realise the massive scale of the problem. And trickle down economics is always seems very, very, very slow when you're the one mm. with it dripping on you. <laughs> and it doesn't seem to be going fast enough. I imagine my sons will be paid more than the daughters of my contemporaries. Send us your ideas or suggest a guest for a future episode. Email reasons at cheerfulpodcast.com. Find us on Facebook or tweet at cheerfulpodcast. 
Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So a lot to think about in uh, both what Jess and Victoria said. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us hello at adriftpodcast.com. Um, find us on Twitter. Uh, I think not, actually. Oh, I shit. think that's your other... That's your other... That's your other podcast. Oh, my God. Okay. Yeah, well, you're right. You're you know, right. I mean, I know who his favorite is now. You know, that Annabelle Paul. For those of you who wonder what that podcast is, it's Adrift uh, with Jeff Lloyd and Annabelle Paul. Drifted into, uh, drifted into autopilot there. Um, you can email us. Shall I do it, Jeff? Yeah, you do. Shall you I do, do it? it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, you can email us at reasons at cheerfulpodcast.com. You can find us on Twitter at, at cheerfulpodcast. Or you can find us on Facebook too at facebook.com stroke reasons to be cheerful podcast. And people have been doing, I do at least have the right yes, email indeed. accounts open here. Um, so let's have a look through some of these. The first one comes from Mark Wiley, who says, a bit late in responding to the first one, but I wanted to know your thoughts on how to prevent the market raising costs, um, say, of private rents to the level of minimum floor when implementing universal basic income. You saw this with increases in housing benefit being matched by increases in private rents in the UK. So unscrupulous landlords taking advantage of, of these kinds of payments like housing benefit and UBI. Well, it's an interesting point. It's an interesting point in the context of universal basic income or indeed the current situation in relation to rents. Because I think what you're seeing in in terms of rents is going up and up well beyond any earnings increase that people are getting. And that's why rent controls is back on the agenda as an issue. It's something we'll be talking about next week. Uh, next one comes from James Evans, who says, I'm a professional public speaking coach. Excellent. We need him. We need him. <laughs> he says, and I think public speaking skills should be taught in all secondary schools. Kids from fee-paying schools are often put through programmes that develop these abilities, which are crucial to leadership roles. Uh, it's time to level the playing field. I realise having more adults in the world that can confidently speak in public could lose me some work. Uh, yeah. He adds, but at least I'll have my universal basic income to fall back on. I think that's a really good point. I think it's got some technical name, by the way, oracy skills. Have you got? Did you learn oracy skills? No, I didn't. Uh, you know, and I think you know, there's something I always felt facing David Cameron. There was something about him which he had this, you know, sort of born to rule sense, and right. and you know, even when the sort of things were collapsing around him, he kind of. Now, that's a slightly different point, that sort of confidence. But I think the fundamental point that this chap's making, that that ability to speak in public, engage with people, that's so much, it's, it's so much more important than it was even you know, 10, 20 years ago. So I think it's a really, really important point. It is a thing, that public school confidence. Yeah, it is, it is. I mean, it sometimes tips over into arrogance, no, naming no names, David Cameron, but uh, um, it is interesting, isn't it? Yeah. Um, maybe they put something in the water or something. Um, the next one comes from Carol Jennings, who says, it'd be great if you could discuss the possibility of extending voting rights to 16 to 18-year-olds. I personally believe it would be a great idea. All young people I know are very engaged in politics now. My 17-year-old daughter is incensed that she'll be coming of age just as we leave the EU without having had any choice in the matter. That, uh, 
I, I never understand um, the logic in if you are allowed to create a human life as you are at 16, why then are you not allowed to have a say it's a in sort of his- life plays out? Yeah, it's a sort of historical hangover. Voting at 18 was introduced in, I think, 1969, and we haven't really sort of kept up. I, I personally have long been a supporter of votes at 16. I think the notion that all 16-year-olds don't know enough, I mean, frankly, you can say that about any, yeah. any age. Um, and the answer is give people proper citizenship education in schools and you know, they did vote in the scottish referendum if 16 and 17 year olds had voted in the european referendum i think irrespective of how they voted they'd have voted for remain but but you know it is definitely their future that is on the line is it the case though that this thinking that people get more right wing as they get older so um the conservative parties aren't going to vote for this because there'd be a turkey's voting for christmas well, element I, cer- to it. I certainly think you have to ask why david cameron didn't agree to it in relation to the EU referendum, because they, they it had been allowed in relation to the Scottish referendum, albeit by the Scottish Parliament. I think he probably worried that he was introducing a new set of more than a million voters who might be inclined to vote Labour. But I, I think we will see this in the next five, ten years. I, you can feel the winds of change blowing, particularly as the younger generation feels so disenfranchised by the, the developments in our society. Uh, this comes from Lydia. Uh, this is kind of appropriate. It says, I dare you, I double dare you, I triple dare you, interview David Cameron on your podcast. Hey, Ed, always wanted him um, to answer his questions. And- He's going to be in the comedian slot, apparently. <laughs> is that right? <laughs> Somebody said some, I can get the phrase wrong, but it's like, you know, you shouldn't let sort of anger or, or hatred of your opponents sort of cloud your judgment. I don't think you should sort of hate your opponent. Mm. You can hate what they're doing to the country. Mm. But, you know, I sort of felt it was kind of important to, when there were things that Labour and the Conservatives might agree on to do with national security or whatever, you needed to have a civil relationship with him. But we weren't we weren't sort of drinking buddies. If I know somebody has said snidey things about me, I then put them on my enemies list. Yeah. And I have a long-term plan to undermine and ruin them. Mine didn't, <laughs> maybe you had mine that, didn't maybe quite that work out. <laughs> uh, um, I think he would say when he comes on in the comedian slot yeah. uh, that it was sort of part of what happened at Prime Minister's Questions you, you said these things and mm. really mean I mean it's sort of you know it kind of goes with the territory doesn't it Final one then from Kath Elliston who, on Tech Monopolies which we talked about last week she says uh, I listened to your podcast on the way to work this morning it was fantastic to see that you're taking big ideas like UBI seriously another oh, well, idea she's, she's somebody I really like already <laughs> She's she's higher up on the guest yeah. list than David Cameron. Yeah. She's your point. sister-in-law, actually. Yeah. Isn't she? <laughs> uh, another idea that might be of interest is the robot tax mooted by Bill Gates, an alternative response to increasing automation. Now, my reaction straight away is like that we're already afraid of the robot uprising that they're going to slaughter us all if we start taxing them. Doesn't it give them? Further I thought incentive? you were going to say Theresa May's got enough problems without being taxed. <laughs> uh, um, uh, look, um, I'm don't. Think I don't. My instincts is this isn't doesn't quite feel like the answer. I think you've got to we've got to sort of embrace technology, but make it work for the betterment of humanity, not sort of try and throw up massive obstacles in in the way. I mean that's 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 my instinctive reaction. Bill Gates has proposed it. Maybe it could be we discuss it on a future show. We need to find a way of taxing these companies, yeah. These particularly these tech companies that don't really pay their taxes, lots of them. So whether it's through robot tax or whatever it is, but I, I, I don't know. So maybe it needs further exploration. It's an interesting thought. Yeah, we'd love to hear from you. Please get in touch. Email us, reasons at cheerfulpodcast.com. Follow us on Twitter at Cheerful Podcasts or search for our Facebook page, Reasons to be Cheerful Podcast. And here to pitch ideas which could be potential reasons to be cheerful. Sarah Pascoe, hello. 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 Firstly, we should talk about you, your, um, you, your move into theatre. Oh. You've been doing lovely things of late, haven't you? No. Yeah. I wrote a play. Yes, that's quite lovely, I, I, isn't I it? I haven't been doing any of the vocal warm-ups. Right. <laughs> I've not done anything lovely. Um, yeah, I wrote a play. Well, I adapted a book into a play. It's on at the moment. It's weird to have something on that you're not in control of. What was the book? Pride and Prejudice. I don't know oh, if you've heard of it. Okay. <laughs> it's by uh, a woman called Jane Aust- J- James Austin. <laughs> She's now on a £5-10 note. So how many times have you seen it since it started then? I went once. I didn't want to go at all. Really? Yeah. Why? Because it made me feel... I'll tell you for why. Sitting there with members of the public watching something is unbearable. 
Oh, because oh, you're thinking they're laughing at the wrong bits, they're not mm. laughing at the right mm. bits. Yeah, I wanted I wanted them all to go home. Um, no, I got annoyed when people were coughing. <laughs> I was like, right. go home if you're sick. Why would you come out and ruin other people's night at the theatre and people fidgeting? And also just because some people know who I am. And so I were they that, looking around for your reaction throughout? Well, it's more like, um, if you had this after, I don't know if you had this after a gig, but when you go into a toilet and people are talking about you outside the <sighs> toilets and you can't come out. Things it did, like it happen to happen to me a lot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> does, it, does it happen to you a lot? Sorry, what did it happen to you? <laughs> how much time you spent in a toilet? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But so I had a slightly sort of kind of related experience this week. So I went to see a play by a friend of mine called James Graham. It's called Labour of Love. Oh, with um, about, Martin Freeman. With Martin Freeman and Tamsin Gregg, and it's about 30-something years of the Labour Party. And I kind of should have realised this beforehand, but I'm sort of in it. I mean, I'm not in it oh, as in yeah. someone playing me, but mm. I sort of feature... And, you know, it was quite, I mean, I, I think it's actually a good play, um, but it's caused quite a sort of thing to go and watch it with myself flashing up on screen. And it was sort of, it was kind of a slightly interesting. Did the characters experience. say anything about you? Uh, no, there's video footage. And, it, and it's I, I really, actually you. Yeah, well, there's video yeah. footage of me, oh, yes, yeah, 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 me winning the Labour leadership and blah blah and giving a speech and so on. Yeah. And, um, I mean, I really would encourage people to go and see it because he's very, James Graham is a very talented person and it, and it is really an interesting sort of uh, discussion of the dilemmas mm. in the Labour Party and the, different, and the different sides. But it was definitely quite a sort of, you know, it was quite an experience for me going to see mm-hmm. it. Not exactly the same as being no, the no, writer. No, 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 but it's very similar when something happens and you're around other people and you, a prickle for you is you're just so aware of how other people are reacting to this and any kind of watching yourself is unbearable. I just feel so sorry for Theresa May. We were, we <laughs> were talking about that happen, this. Yeah. Like we're separate of politics on a just empathetic human level, there are certain situations it's uncomfortable to watch someone having to deal with. So what percentage of you feel sorry for her what, compared to what percentage? Uh, oh, I just I think it's very com- I think it's very separate. I think it's so I think you can absolutely not too go, old 25% Ed here. I, I think you can absolutely go god that person's having a shocker of a day at work. Really, basically, yeah. can't you? And then and a separate thing, like, oh, I, th- I think yeah. she's a war criminal. <laughs> um, uh, I don't think that. Um, but, you know. Do you hear that, Ed? So my, you think my 25% sympathy was not high enough? Um, so what's, what's the 25% sympathy? And how, what degree of sympathy? And I said 25% oh, oh, sympathy. Oh, that's how sympathy you felt for her. Yeah, yeah. so sort of 75% oh, yeah. Freuder. In the moment, been. it was just painful I didn't actually, if I, I didn't actually see all of it, so yeah. I just sort of saw the reporting on it. So here's a question then for, for you, Ed. Are things ever put in place by a party that are such good ideas that you that everyone agrees if we don't stay in power, this will still happen? It happens. Yeah. And in a way, that is the ultimate sign of success. Yeah. Um, the biggest legacy a government can have yeah. is things that your opponents end up agreeing yeah. with. So yeah. on that subject, uh, is somebody feeling a little smug about something this week? The energy price Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I saw that. It's yeah. back. It's back. I mean, what we're living in a Marxist universe yeah. because, uh, you know, they, when I proposed it, they said it was a Marxist universe. Yeah. I, I sort of, you know, it's such a fascinating story, this, because so... You know, they said it was Marxist universe. Then Theresa May adopted it before uh, before the uh, 2017 election. Then she abandoned it after the 2017 election. Now she's adopted it again. And in a way, it shows the sort of dilemma for the conservatives, which is, are they the defenders of free markets and mm. the big companies and the vested interests? Or are they the people who are saying we're going to reform them? You know, I, I yeah. think read the small print when you actually see what see what it is. Yeah, but I'm claiming the credit. All right, Sarah, what have you brought idea-wise? Okay, here's an idea. So this can be about anything, can it? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So here's an idea. I um I understand it's important for like commerce, business, but I really don't like cars. I've never learned to drive. I think cars are really dangerous. I think it's one of those things that we all accept that um, a certain amount of people are injured and killed every year from cars. We just and we accept it. There's a certain amount of people having a car makes it worthwhile that tens of thousands of people in every country in the world are killed. I what about okay. Because I don't think anyone. Them. Uh, well, that ideally, I would say abolish them. Second term, second term. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I do feel very confident. But what about if you invented balloon cars? Oh, that popped if you hit anyone. Okay, would they be priced similarly to balloons? Uh... <laughs> yeah. Everyone's got one. <laughs> because people wouldn't be that bothered about a cheap balloon car popping but if they were as expensive as actual cars they'd be more careful okay what about this for a system if it costs the same as a regular car i don't know mm-hmm. how much a car costs half a million pounds <laughs> and um then if you hit someone you get get a replacement balloon car right because you've leased a balloon car for 10 years say so that's what you're paying for mm-hmm. 
that might be the world we we're going to enter into. Not exactly balloon cars, but self-driving cars. But yes. there is an interesting point in this, which is, I think Paris recently has been having car-free days yeah. in the centre of Paris. Mm. And of course, you can see all of the downsides of it, but I think they're doing it for air pollution reasons. I think, yeah. you know, in a way, I don't see why we shouldn't have some car-free there days. There should definitely in the be research of- into what what you can do, and especially I think if there are things that obviously people, businesses who have to transport things can still. You're not saying it's it's about people who use cars every day for short journeys and how we can work out our lives in ways without using them. And, and actually, just I was in Germany this week and going into um, a town, the guy said to me, oh, well, of course, you're not allowed to drive into this town if your car's a certain uh, over a certain age. Because of period. the pollution. Because of cars. the pollution from the older cars. Yeah. Yeah. So so I, I sort of think, I think sort of intuitively that the... the, the I personally think that one of the things we're massively underestimating is the air pollution. You know, 40,000 mm. people, extra deaths a year yeah. because it's a silent killer. Yeah. Kids going to school in, yeah. like, pollution. You know, it, it, honestly, it's like – and so in a way, I sort of think, you know, balloons might be there, as I say, the second term. But, then, yeah. <laughs> but, but you know, thinking thinking kind of radically about this, I think, is right. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah. We'll, we'll, okay. we'll have that one. What yeah. else have you got? Okay, how about this? I think religious education – should be more respected in schools. I think to create a, a tolerant society, no matter what your family background or culture, an education that isn't examined but is about cultural discussion and big questions should be part of a syllabus. And I think that should be one of those like cross-party things that you actually realise in terms of living all together. I think it's really difficult. RE is one of the subjects that's been kind of cut back and cut back. And there are other countries in the world where it's not compulsory to study. You can just go to a religious school and only learn about one religion. And I feel like on the, from the grassroots now with young people, in terms of all of the scary things that people are scared of in our country, you could, you, young people should all understand why people believe things they do. Right. And some schools are amazing. I've been into schools to, to, to and I'm not, I don't have any kind of religious background, but where teachers are quite good at saying, will you come in and talk? And obviously it's brilliant. And so, and, um, Did you mention the balloon calls? <laughs> so I start with guys the future is balloons like, thanks for coming I, like <laughs> yeah. um, I had a, a little boy ask an amazing question he put his hand up and he said um, why do people of different religions want to fight each other and I was coming into this whole thing about oh if you've even one god he went no no what I mean is why they don't they all gang up together and kill atheists <laughs> what an amazing like of course it's so obvious who the real bad people are. no but they do things like they the kids will say oh i want to study um no more page three next term or and i just think even asking questions the philosophical questions i guess like if there is a god why would he or why would they let bad things happen that that kind of critical thinking is so valuable really in true. terms of and i feel like at the, it's one of those really dismissed topics that should be so respected by everyone because it is it's philosophy well my big idea on this is that we should all get a bank holiday for every single religious holiday across every single religion yeah. and then it would make us more predisposed to think warmly towards those religions because it equals days off oh i see That's a good idea. yeah i see and also just like lots of time off yeah i mean you'd be able to start finding new gods everywhere though wouldn't you yes. i mean there's so many in terms of like ancient greece and ancient rome mm-hmm. you could just absolutely have it every mm. day all right sarah what else so this is my last one and this is my facetious one okay okay so <laughs> okay laid the ground here i'm not saying this is anyone's fault but um you're getting in your sort yeah hashtag not all men exactly. but uh, <laughs> majority of violent criminals and violent offenses and uh murderers are men so my proposition is that we tax men at a higher rate to pay for the costs of the rehabilitation the refugees from people man escaping tax. Dialing, man tax um paying for the prisons and i also so that men pay a higher rate of tax just because men cost us more in terms of these things and then that extra tax can be used because 88 percent of homeless people are men and actually, then you could put it into homeless services. So it is going back to men. So it's a bit like period tax. Maybe it would take, make men take more responsibility for other men's actions. And as all of well, the police see. each other at the end of the pub, like, leave it, Stephen. <laughs> leave it, Stephen. He's all right going out. I, I don't want <laughs> Jeff, how do we sell it? That's the question. Yeah. Uh, I can I, see there's a, there might be a sort of different gender reactions to this tax. Yeah, yeah. I, I think there might be an outpouring of thoughts on this particular tax to you on yeah, Twitter, course, Sarah, from but, suggesting but The thing it. is, I, I, I think people hate tax in general, and it's such a shame. I really, Again, that's something I think about school. I think, I don't know, my kind of working-class family, I'm so proud to pay tax, and I'm so proud to pay a lot of tax, and that's because I think I've seen all of the different things that 
that happen when you put into a pot and you're sharing and you're not saying, okay, there's this odd person over there who's an idiot. But essentially, there's a safety net and it's for everyone and I'm proud to be part of it. And um, and I feel like there's certain things that actually, if we costed them, again, are solvable problems. And it's basically, it's a new version of this is what a feminist looks like. That you support the man tax. Yeah, basically. yeah, it is for the man tax. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll buy the T-shirt. Hashtag man tax. I won't buy the T-shirt because oh, I'll be like, paying um, more tax. But, but, you know I, that I, thing about, is it called um, effective altruism? Effective altruism is when you... There's an organisation who um, you give them your money and they give it to the charities that can actually do the most good with it. And they always say in their um, lectures, they say, hands up if you think that the 10% of richest people in the world should give 5% of their earnings to charity. And everyone puts their hands up. We all go, yes, they should. And like, that's you. <laughs> if, if we all did that. And it's things like, so they, like anti-worming tablets in, in, in countries where children can't go to school. And so certain things where a small amount of money, and again, it's done. Pay your man tax to the tax man. Tax woman. Tax woman. Tax woman. God, I sort no, of fell into no, that you trap. Did, you did. Hell yeah. of a trap. <laughs> Reasons to be cheerful with Ed Miliband and Jeff Lloyd. Thanks to Sarah Pascoe. Her adaptation of Pride and Prejudice is on at the Theatre Royal York until the 14th of October. And her book is great. It's called Animal, the Autobiography of a Female Body. We should also thank Victoria Budson and Jess Phillips. Uh, more about Equal Pay if people want to find out. To find out more, go to the Fawcett Society uh, website. They've got lots of information, including about Equal Pay Day, which is on November the 10th, marking the issue of the gender pay gap. Uh, next week, then, what are you thinking? I'm thinking rent controls, Jeff, because, um, you know, the, the number of people living in private rented accommodation is going up and up. Uh, and, you know, often the rent is taking a third or more of their total income. And rent controls are being tried in some areas like Berlin. Uh, some people say they're, you know, problem. They mean that there won't be places to rent. Other people say it's time has come. Uh, and, you know, it's the whole issue of housing and people getting on the housing ladder is such a big issue. So I think we'll be talking about that next have week. Have we ever had that here? Because in New York they have it and in other European countries they have it. I, I think in the dis- dim and distant past we right. may have done and we made some proposals in 2015 built on by Jeremy Corbyn in 2017 around these issues. So, so there's lots to talk about. Um, Emma Corsham produced our podcast with research and backup from Lindsay Todd and Alex Vice bryce Emily Power made our artwork. Gail Lofthouse is our announcer. Ed Seed provided the music and James Deacon made our eye dents. We'd love to hear from you. Um, who should we talk to in future episodes? What ideas do you have that could be reasons to be cheerful? And what do you think about the stuff we've talked about today? You can email us, reasons at cheerfulpodcast.com. Follow us on Twitter at cheerfulpodcast or look us up on Facebook, facebook.com stroke reasons to be cheerful. You ready? You He's been Jeff Lloyd. He's been Ed Miliband. And these have been reasons to be cheerful. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.